was struggling to sleep one night about a month ago, and I finally got up around four o'clock, feeling really frustrated. I just couldn't sleep. And there was this situation that I couldn't resolve. I couldn't see a way forward, and I kept going over and over it in my mind, when all I really wanted to do was sleep. I was concerned and frustrated. People I love were hurting one another, and I was sort of caught in the middle, trying to be the peacemaker, but I was failing to bring peace to anybody. Now, have you ever been in that situation where you finally realize that you, you can't solve it? The situation you face, you just don't know what to do. And you turn to Jesus in desperation. So I turned to God, got out of bed, went downstairs to pray, to read the Bible. And I was, I was still wound up and frustrated when I tried to pray. 4.30 is such an awkward time to be awake. You know, you know in a few hours that you need to be up um, in my case, walking the dog. But, you know, you have to be up and getting ready for work. And I had a busy day ahead of me on that day. And it went through my head, Lord, why couldn't we be doing this at 6.30 after I've had a good night's sleep? That would be so much more convenient and reasonable. It was a sort of half prayer. And then God gave me a choice. I felt God say to me, do you want my help, or are you going to moan and go back to bed? That was the question I sort of sensed he was, uh, and isn't it amazing how quickly you change your attitude when you sense God might be speaking? I sort of asked Jesus, well, okay, what should I be reading? Um, and I felt led to the book of Galatians, and I read the first chapter thinking, I'll just read the first chapter and then pray and then hopefully get back to bed. Um, but I found myself reading the whole book, all six chapters. It was so relevant to my situation. And then I could pray. I couldn't resolve the situation at all. But I was able to talk it over with Jesus. And I gained a peace that I hadn't had. A peace that helped me. I felt secure that God would lead me through this. And I had a more gracious attitude to the people involved. I just knew that I needed to trust God. And as I asked Jesus what I should be talking about today, he led me back to this little six-chapter book in the Bible called Galatians, written by the Apostle Paul. Tim Keller, uh, in his book Galatians for You, um, put it this way, the book of Galatians is dynamite. It is an explosion of joy and freedom which leaves us enjoying a deep significance, security, and satisfaction, the life of blessing God calls his people into. I was gripped. Are you facing a situation where you need God's dynamite, where you need an explosion of joy and freedom? If you're not in that situation now, you may well be in the very near future. And if at the moment you just can't see a way forward, if you're stuck, sense you're trapped, 
or maybe even in danger. It may be that there's a relational crisis that you're facing or a financial one, a loved one, or maybe yourself, uh, you may be facing health issues right now. Some of us are facing difficulties at work or maybe at home or perhaps where we study. It may be that you're fine, but people around you are not and you're really concerned for them. Either way, I think God has a lot to say to us through the book of Galatians. And I'm hoping that, although I'm only going to sort of really cover the first couple of chapters, that you all become curious about reading this book. So as I've been captivated by this book recently, I was reflecting on it and wondering, now why? Why is it that this has gripped me? And then I realised it's because the book of Galatians brings us face to face with the core message of the gospel and its personal impact on us. I was personally impacted by the gospel when I came to live here in Nottingham 37 years ago. I believed in God all my life, but I'd not realised that there was another personal step that you needed to take. And in opening up my heart to Jesus, in acknowledging my wrongdoing, in acknowledging my sins, um, it was such an encounter that transformed my life. It was such a simple thing to do, and yet it totally changed my life for the better. I was desperate to know that God loved me and accepted me, yet I was aware that I was not living up to God's standards. In my own strength, I just couldn't. I tried. But the gospel offers us a way through the challenging life circumstances that we face. And especially if we haven't got peace. And at that time, I really had no peace. The gospel is a source of hope and inspiration, which we often overlook. And today we'll be looking at two aspects of the gospel. First, the gospel is good news. And second, the gospel is God's gift of grace. But first, let me explore with you, what is the gospel? And these verses from Galatians tell us, Galatians 1, verses 1 to 5. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by man, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of God, of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. And in verse 4, we read there that Jesus gave himself to rescue us from our sins and from this present evil age. And there is so much pain and suffering in the world. You only have to turn the TV on or visit a, a news website to see, a, not just in this country, but across the globe, the amount of pain and suffering there, was in, there is in the world today. So why did Jesus do this? Why did he give himself? Well, we also read there that it was God's will. So why did God want to rescue us by sending his son Jesus? And it's remarkably straightforward. 
because he loves us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And this is the gospel in a nutshell. God saw that we were in trouble, heading for destruction, and because God loves us, he sent his son, Jesus, to offer us a way out. And if you've not heard the gospel before, I'm hoping you will realize tonight that God loves you as you are, exactly as you are, and he wants to offer you a future. So the first point, the gospel is good news. It's the good news. God, our heavenly dad, loves us. He wants us not to perish. He wants us to have an eternal life as part of his family, as adopted children. That's the good news. And we just celebrated Easter, which is, for me, the most profound moment in uh, human history, where God actually created a way for us to have relationship, eternal life, uh, and a future. And Easter's always a time when I think about just how much it cost Jesus to do that so that we could benefit. And it's all because of the gospel. And there have been highs and lows for me over the last 37 years. But the gospel has always been good news for me. One of the things that I've noticed, though, about us as Christians is that over time, we can overcomplicate what it means to follow Jesus. We can drift into thinking that we need to earn God's love. It's very easy for us as Christians to assume that the gospel is something for people who don't know Jesus. And once we've come to know Jesus, we need more advanced teaching. But in reality, we just need to learn to live in the simplicity of the gospel because the truths of the gospel change our lives from top to bottom. And these truths transform our hearts, our thinking, and our approach to absolutely everything. I like the way Tim Keller, who's a, a writer and a theologian, puts it. He, he wrote this. The gospel, the message that we are more wicked than we ever dare believe but more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope, creates a radical new dynamic for personal growth, for obedience, for love. That, that idea, the gospel helps us understand that actually we are more wicked than we realize. We are in need of that savior. We are in need of being rescued. What do you think about the gospel message? Is it good news for you? It's worth just pondering on that. You see, when Paul wrote this letter to the Galatian churches, he was astonished and frustrated, and he was probably losing sleep too. Why? Well, the young Christians of Galatia were being led astray, away from faith in Jesus alone, by the Jewish Christian teachers. Now we often assume that once we've, we're born again, once we become spiritually alive, once we've welcomed Jesus into our heart, we don't need to hear 
or study or understand the gospel. You know, it's that, that craving for sort of more advanced teaching. And that's often our first mistake and a very dangerous mistake it is too. The gospel, the good news, is outrageously simple. So simple that we find it hard to believe once we've been following Jesus for a while. And I know that's been true of me. I grew up in a large family, one of eight children, five sisters, two brothers, and I went to the local Catholic school and, the lo- and then the Catholic grammar school. Yes, I'm of Irish descent. Um, and I love my Catholic background. It's given me deep soil for faith to grow. I, believe, I believed in God, but I didn't understand about being born again spiritually until I left home and met some Christians at university. And then I became a Christian, and it caused massive problems in my family. When I got married, my parents didn't come to our wedding. They thought that we were, we were not, they thought that they were doing the right thing in not coming because we weren't getting married in a Catholic church. I had a freedom which they thought was me being disrespectful. And I, I, I understood. And years later, you know, they, we all, we, we made up. There was, no, there was not really an issue for me. And it's just fascinating, isn't it, how people, other people's expectations of us can force us into trying to behave in a way that God isn't asking us to. But back to Galatians, what is happening? Paul is concerned, he's frustrated, he's probably angry, he's trying to work out how he can resolve this situation. Galatians, verse six and seven. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. That's really strong language. You can hear that Paul was was not just concerned and frustrated, he was irritated. And he was irritated with these young Galatian Christians. He must have been wondering how he could resolve this conflict and clear up the confusion. Verses 11 and 12. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Paul then goes on to remind the Galatians of his previous life as a Jew who persecuted the church of God, trying to destroy it. Then God intervened and revealed his son Jesus to Paul so that Paul might preach Jesus among the Gentiles. So Paul's first action was to go off for three years and, um, and then he went to see uh, Peter, the apostle Peter, and Jesus' brother James, who were both at that time pillars in the church in Jerusalem. But Paul wasn't known to the churches of the area of Judea. Verse 23, they only heard the report that the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Paul is clearly defending his authority and his credibility. Why? Because he sees the dangers of perverting the gospel he preached. 
The gospel is all about relationship with God through Jesus alone, not religious behavior for God. Paul knows we can only please God by faith. A group of teachers in Galatia were now insisting that the Gentile Christians practice all the traditional ceremonial customs of the law of Moses, as the Jewish Christians did. They taught that the Galatians had to observe all the dietary laws and be circumcised for full acceptance, and here's the punchline, and to be completely pleasing to God. He could see that these new Christians would end up trying to earn God's pleasure rather than relying on their faith in Jesus alone. And you know, we face those same dangers today. The fact about the book of Galatians that is often overlooked is that Paul was writing to Christians. He wasn't writing to people who were not Christians. The gospel is not only the way to enter the kingdom, it is the way to live in the kingdom. That was Tim Keller. I wish it was me, but I better own up. Makes me sound so wise. It's so easy, though, for us to slip into thinking that it is our behaviors that please God, when it is our faith in Jesus that pleases God. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying behavior isn't important. Behavior that is an obedient response, expressing our faith in Jesus, God loves. But it's the faith that pleases him, not the behavior. My faith in Jesus was a source of irritation to my younger brother when I first became a Christian. And he saw himself as a good person and he had lots of questions. And he wasn't interested in the good news of the gospel. Chris loved to debate, but he didn't see the need to be born again. He wanted to be in control of his life. And then 27 years later, disaster struck. He had a brain tumor. Chris was in and out of hospital. I visited him, prayed with him, hoped for his healing. And then suddenly, there was this massive change in my brother. It was really strange because he was at peace despite his condition and despite his circumstances. He told me when I went to visit, and he, this, at this point he was back at home, um, he took me out to the garden, there's loads of people around, and he said, he told me that uh, he'd made his peace with God, and we were just going to go into the story more, and then we got disturbed and we got drawn in. He then went abroad for a few months with his wife and daughters, and when he came home, he deteriorated quickly. 18 months ago, my brother died. It all happened so quickly. It was just under six months from diagnosis to his death. And I was puzzled because Chris was suddenly at peace and I'd never seen him like that. And I didn't hear the full story until the day of his funeral. After the service and the burial, um, I met the hospital chaplain at the, at the wake, at the sort of gathering in the pub. He met my brother Chris on his first day as a chaplain in the hospital. He already, they already knew each other from 20 years previous, uh, through work, I think it was. 
And he was a, a chaplain, but he also was a, a member of a vineyard church. And the chaplain told me that he'd visited my brother and Chris asked him if it would be hypocritical for him to pray the prayer now that he knew he was dying. And the chaplain encouraged him um, to give his life to Jesus. And that's what he did. And he really meant it. And then he was immediately at peace. It was truly amazing. For my brother, it was only when he came to the end of himself, facing imminent death, that he was ready to accept the good news by faith that Jesus had died for him. His decision to put his faith in Jesus' death and resurrection literally saved him. Now perhaps you're listening to me tell this story of my brother and you haven't accepted the gospel offer of eternal life yet. You may have lots of questions, but today is a good day to hear and accept the good news that Jesus died for you. And that's a great starting point for you to start to explore. Wherever you're at today and whatever situations you're facing, the gospel is always good news. It changes our perspective, brings hope, and we become spiritually alive. The gospel is, is also God's gift of grace. My second point. Paul often starts his letters with the greeting grace and peace, which is a Christian sort of adaptation of a common Greek form of greeting. And it's striking because it's a summary of the gospel. Grace is a gift that we cannot earn. And it's from God. While peace is the positive impact God's gift has on our lives. You know, as we have the, the God's spirit living within us, transforming us, we experience peace, that fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. <coughs> I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and, and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. We can't earn our salvation through works. We often start our walk of faith with Jesus, understanding that that relationship with God um, is that gift, a free gift of eternal life that we didn't deserve. God's gift of grace. It's also true that we can take for granted all that Jesus has done for us and we quietly slip into trying to please God through our behaviours and our actions. We try to earn God's favour, earn our righteousness. It, it's, it's something that just happens. We have an enemy that doesn't want us to focus on the gospel, who wants us to strive to be good. But just remember, it's faith that's important. Romans 4, now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. It's our faith that in God, in the gospel, that puts us right with God. When I started to work for Cadbury's at the age of 18, I would come home craving my dad's approval. I'd go into the kitchen and tell my mum, 
what had happened at you know, work that day. And she would say, go and tell your dad. But he was busy. And I was nervous and reluctant to disturb him. I might pop my head around, see him reading the paper or sitting watching the news. It's strange, isn't it? How we need to earn our dad's approval and, and to earn relationship with our earthly dads. I just want you to know God is not like that. What was your relationship with your dad like? And I realized for some of us, we will not have had a good relationship with our dad. We might not have ever known our dad. So the idea that God wants to be our heavenly dad may be difficult. Yet that is exactly the message of the gospel. That song, which I don't recall us singing before here, you know, God is a good, good father. It's amazing. It's a, it's a wonderful truth. And that is the gift on offer to us, to be adopted into God's family. And I know many of us already know that, but the wonder of it, we often forget. It is a, a wonderful gift of grace. We don't need to earn it. And when we are given something that we really want, it's special and precious because it shows us that we're loved. It shows us that we're cared for, that the person has been, who's given us that gift has been thinking about us. And my dad was great in many ways, but he was also distant, remote, and, and uninvolved in my life. And that was, that was because he was an introvert, raising eight children in a three-bedroom house, and he did lots of overtime. It must have been a nightmare for him. I loved him, but I just didn't know him. So a gift from my dad meant a lot to me. My earliest memory of receiving a gift that was life-changing happened when I was seven years old. I was given my first bike. I was so excited. I just wanted to tell all my friends and show them my bike. I, I had already learnt to ride. My big brother taught me in the local park by holding the saddle, running along with me. And then as I became more confident, he suddenly let go without telling me. I was fine until I realized I was on my own. And then I had my first crash. <laughs> Can you remember being given a gift that you really wanted? Was it a bike? It may have been something else. The first gift I was given as an adult that was life-changing was a car. A Triumph Herald Estate should come up on the screen. <laughs> it's a shame it was an estate, but that's what we could afford. Now, my dad bought this for me when I was 18, and that was wonderful. And then he told me I had to pay half of it back. <laughs> he wanted me to learn. Um, but it still felt like a gift to me at the time. I was just so excited. And once again, as I remember, it was my big brother, Tony, who gave me my first driving lesson in a car park. It looked so easy from the passenger seat, but proved much more complicated when I tried to drive. I had my provisional license, plenty of youthful enthusiasm. I wanted to drive everywhere to get as much practice in before my driving test. 
my dad had such belief in me, or perhaps he just wanted a break from teaching me, that he would let me drive alone before I passed my driving test. He was not a great one for rules, my dad. On one occasion, I drove my friend home and then started the journey back. I stopped at some traffic lights. It was about midnight, waiting for them to go green, then attempted to drive. I just couldn't get the car into gear. It was so embarrassing. But thankfully, I was alone, and then a police car pulled up behind me. You can probably imagine the feelings of anxiety and panic that ran through my mind at this point. It's midnight on Christmas Eve. I only have a provisional license. I've got stuck at these traffic lights and cannot get the car into gear. The policeman comes to my window and asks if I own the car. I tell him how my dad and I have just bought this car. And he sees that I'm nervous, um, but he notes that I've not been drinking. I'm looking at him, wondering what will happen next. Will he arrest me when he finds out I haven't passed my test yet? How much trouble am I in? He was an older policeman who probably had a son of his own. And he says to me, son, go home and don't drive alone again. He saw right through me. He realized I was not qualified to drive, but he let me off. That's sort of what I think God is really like. I was in shock. Then I started up the engine, got it, got it into gear, such a relief. Finally got the car um, home, relieved. That probably wouldn't happen these days. Get, getting a gift is one thing. Knowing how to use it is quite another. I needed proper driving lessons, which I hastily booked, paid for, passed my test, as all good drivers do on the second attempt. I do think that's when all the best drivers pass, isn't it? Have you ever been given a gift that you really wanted but didn't know how to use? You may have thought you knew how to use it. Or perhaps you knew how to use it, but using it well needed a lot of practice. See, God's gift of grace is a little bit like getting your first car. It's wonderful, but with it comes huge responsibilities. You know, the joy of driving is great. Learning not to be a danger to ourselves and to others, that's the tricky bit. And with a gift so precious, we need to learn how to use it properly. Let me show you what happens when you don't know how to drive. There's a couple of video clips coming up now.
I cannot believe they both drove off. I was sort of hoping that that second clip, he thought, well, I've done it now, might as well go right over them, but no. The responsibilities that come with God's gift of grace can, be too, easy, can too easily become our focus. I, I know that they, you know, our behaviours, what we do with that gift, it, you know, it's important. But my hope is that we don't want to become legalistic, trying to get everything right. You know, it, it's a process that goes on of change in us. And, um, and God's, God's timetable is often different from ours. The joy and the freedom that Jesus has given us, we need to appreciate daily. Otherwise, we can slide back into that sort of legalistic, rule-keeping relationship with God. Getting disappointed and frustrated. And that's not why Jesus died for us. He didn't give us a rule book. He gave us a gift. Forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Now, it's impossible to overstate the impact of this little six-book six-chapter book called Galatians. You know, it's often referred to as Luther's book because he relied strongly on this book for his writings and arguments against the religious corruption of the gospel in his day, in the 15th century. He was the father of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, He liked this book better than any other book in the Bible. Luther came to reject several teachings of the practices of the the late medieval Catholic Church, he strongly disputed the claim that freedom from God's punishment for sin could be purchased with money. Luther taught that salvation and then eternal life is not earned by good deeds, but is received only as a free gift of God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ as as our saviour, as our redeemer for, the, for our sins. And his teaching got him into serious trouble. He got excommunicated, kicked out of the Catholic Church because his theology, his writings, challenged the authority of the Pope back in his day. He was saying the Bible is the only source of divinely revealed knowledge from God. And in Luther's day, the book of Galatians was theological dynamite to the corrupt religious beliefs of the day. Luther's Luther's teaching, based on Galatians, brought about another explosion of joy and peace to so many people in his day. People started to enjoy a deep significance, a security, a satisfaction, as they realised God's gift of grace came by faith in Jesus alone, not by works. He even translated the Bible from Latin into German. Galatians proved to be dynamite once again in the 18th century. Now this time it was, it was the corruption of the Anglican church. And a man named William Holland got a hold of Luther's commentary on Paul's letter to the Galatians. And he read it and he was so excited about it, he gave the commentary to his friend Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley was laid up and he was sick. He talks about the impact of reading Luther's commentary on this little book, especially Luther's commentary on the phrase from Galatians 2.20. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It was those, that phrase, he loved me and gave himself for me. And Charles Wesley began to pray, begging God to allow him to experience 
Christ's love, to experience the love of Jesus, not as a doctrine, not as an idea, not as a sort of principle. Charles Wesley was just begging for an encounter with Christ. He said, let me feel the love of Christ. And he wrote in his journal that he had a breakthrough with Christ, reading Galatians and Luther's commentary. And shortly after that, he penned the hymn, And Can It Be That I Should Gain? And the first verse goes like this. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, wouldst die for me? You see, this is God's gift of grace. And and God's gift of grace has been transforming lives for literally thousands of years now. So let me recap as we're coming into land. The gospel is good news. And the gospel is God's gift of grace. And I have a very brief third point to add. The gospel is a gift to share. I'm not going to read the verses. I want to just leave you with this. If we really believe the gospel is good news, and if we really believe the gospel is God's gift of grace, then why wouldn't we share it? And I know for many of us, sharing the the gospel is difficult. Some of us do that, serving the poor, or opening up our homes, small groups. Oh, there's all sorts of ways we do it. But when it comes to personally sharing our faith in Jesus, many of us are not confident at all. And I'm one of those. I know that might surprise you. Um, A couple of weeks ago, when we had a a visiting preacher, Mark Marks, and he did some training, um, and we got out on the streets. And he said that sharing the gospel is like learning to drive. It's difficult at first, but with practice, we can get good at it. And it's so true. I went out on the streets with a team um, in Long Eaton, and it was just a disaster. It was like driving, parking that car. I just crashed in on a couple of guys. They didn't know what hit them. I got all muddled up with what I was saying and couldn't remember the order of the three questions. And, and I thought, okay, I'll, I'll let that one go. And you know it's bad when they start backing off from you. <laughs> just, it was painful, painful. And God had sort of spoken to me, you're going to meet five guys. And, and I, I, I came across these five youth, and, uh, oh, they gave me such a hard time, you know. What, what do you want from God? I want some weed. <laughs> okay. this, is, this is not going well. And it just got worse after that. Anyway, I walked, I walked away thinking, I've not got a lot to share here um, to meet up with the others. And do you know what was fascinating? As I was leaving and, and heading back, I had this inner sense of real peace and joy, which I thought, where's that come from? And I sort of realized God was just pleased I had a go. And I was stunned. Uh, So if anyone needs some training in that, I'm not the guy, but (laughs) I can encourage you that I'll give it a go again. Shall we stand?